Section forty five of Yiddish Tales. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Yiddish Tales translated by Helena Frank and read by Adrian Pretzelis. Section forty five. A Scholar's Mother by Sholem Ash. The market lies four square, surrounded on every side by low, whitewashed little houses. From the chimney of the one-storied house opposite the well, and inhabited by the baker, issues thick smoke, which spreads low over the market-place. Beneath the smoke is a flying to and fro of white pigeons, and a tall boy standing outside the baker's door is whistling to them. Equally opposite the well are stalls, doors laid across two chairs and covered with fruit and vegetables, and around them women with headkerchiefs gathered round their weary, sunburnt faces in the hottest weather stand and quarrel over each other's wares. It's certainly worth my while to stand quarrelling with you, a tramp like you keeping a stall. Yenta, a woman about forty, whose wide lips have just uttered the above, wears a large dirty apron, and her broad red face, with the composed glance of the eyes under the kerchief, gives support to her words. "'Do you suppose you have got the Almighty by the beard? He's mine as well as yours,' answers Tauber, pulling her kerchief lower about her ears and angrily stroking down her hair. A new customer approached Yenta's stall, and Tauber, standing by idle, passed the time in vituperations. "'What do I want with the money of a fine lady like you? You'll die like the rest of us, and not a dog will say Kaddish for you!' She shrieked, and came to a sudden stop, for Tauber had intended to bring up the subject of her own son, Yitzchokel when she remembered that it is against all manners to praise one's own. Yenta, measuring out a quarter of peas to her customer, made answer, "'Well, if you were a little superior to what you are, your husband wouldn't have died, and your child wouldn't have to be ashamed of you, as we all know he is.' Whereupon Tauber flew into a rage, and shouted, "'Hussy!' The idea of my son being ashamed of me! May you be a sacrifice for his littlest fingernail, for you're not worthy to mention his name!" She was about to burst out weeping at the accusation of having been the cause of her husband's death, and of causing her son to be ashamed of her, but she kept back her tears with all her might, in order not to give pleasure to Yenta. The sun was dropping lower behind the other end of the little town. Jews were hurrying across the market-place to Mincha, in the Besamedresh street, and the Cheder boys, just let out, began to gather round the well. Tauber collected her few little baskets in her arms, the doors and the chairs she left in the market-place—nobody would steal them—and, with two or three parting curses to the rude Yenta, she quietly quitted the scene. Walking home with her armful of baskets, she thought of her son, Yitzchokel. Yenta's stinging remarks pursued her. 
It was not Yenta's saying that she had caused her husband's death that she minded. Every one knew how hard she had worked during his illness. It was her saying that Yitzchokel was ashamed of her, that she felt in her ribs. It occurred to her that when he came home for the night, he would never touch anything in her house. And thinking this over, she started once more abusing Yenta. Let her not live to see such a thing, Rabboina Shel Oilem, the one father. It seemed to her that this fancy of hers, that Yitzchokel was ashamed of her, was all Yenta's fault. It was all her doing, the witch. My child, my Yitzchokel, what business is he of yours? And the cry escaped her. Reboina shall Oilem take up my quarrel. Thou art a father to the orphaned. Thou shouldst not forgive her this. Who is that? Whom are you scolding so, Tauber? called out Necha, the rich man's wife, standing in the door of her shop, and overhearing Tauber as she scolded to herself on the walk home. Who should it be, housemistress? Who but the hussy, the abortion, the witch? answered Tauber, pointing with one finger toward the market-place, and without so much as lifting her head to look at the person speaking to her, she went on her way. She remembered as she walked how, that morning, when she went into Necha's kitchen with a fowl, she heard her Yitzchokel's voice in the other room, disputing with Necha's boys over the Talmud. She knew that on Wednesdays Yitzchokel ate his day at Necha's table, and she had taken the fowl there that day on purpose, so that her Yitzchokel would have a good plate of soup, for her poor child was but weakly. When she heard her son's voice, she had been about to leave the kitchen, and yet she had stayed. Her Yitzchokel disputing with Necha's children? What did they know as compared with him? Did they come up to his level? He will be ashamed of me, she thought with a start when he finds me with a chicken in my hand. So his mother is a market-woman, they will say. There's a fine study-partner for you." But she had not left the kitchen. A child who had never cost a farthing, and she would like to know how much Necha's children cost their parents. If she had all the money that Yitzchokel ought to have cost, the money that ought to have been spent on him, she would be a rich woman too. And she stood and listened to his voice. Oh, he should have lived to see Yitzchokel. It would have made him well. Soon the door opened. Necha's boys appeared, and her Yitzchokel with them. His cheeks flamed. Good morning he said feebly, and was out at the door in no time. She knew that she had caused him vexation, that he was ashamed of her before his companions, and she asked herself, her child, 
her Yitzrochel, who had suckled her milk. What had Necha to do with him? And she had poured out her bitterness of heart upon Yenta's head for this also, that her son had cost her parents nothing, and was yet a better scholar than Necha's children. Once more she exclaimed, Rebina shall oilem avenge my quarrel, pay her out for it, let her not live to see another day. Passers-by, seeing a woman walking and scolding aloud, laughed. Night came on. The little town was darkened. Tauber reached home with her armful of baskets, dragged herself up the steps, and opened the door. Mame, it's Mame, came voices from within. The house was full of smoke. The children clustered round her in the middle of the room, and never ceased calling out, Mame! One child's voice was tearful. Where have you been all day? Another's more cheerful. How nice it is to have you back! And all the voices mingled together into one. Be quiet! You don't give me time to draw my breath! cried the mother laying down the baskets. She went to the fireplace, looked about for something, and presently the house was illuminated by a smoky lamp. The feeble shimmer lighted only the part round the hearth, where Tower was kindling two pieces of stick. An old dusty sewing-machine beside a bed, sign of a departed tailor, and a single bed opposite the lamp, strewn with straw, on which lay various fruits, the odour of which filled the room. The rest of the apartment, with the remaining beds, lay in shadow. It is a year and a half since her husband, Lazar the tailor, died. While he was alive, but when his cough had increased, and he could no longer provide for his family, Tauber had started earning something on her own account, and the worse the cough, the harder she had to toil, so that by the time she became a widow she was already used to supporting her whole family. The eldest boy, Yitzchokel, had been the one consolation of Lazar the tailor's cheerless existence, and Lazar was comforted on his deathbed to think that he should leave a good Kaddish behind him. When he died, the householders had pity on the desolate widow, collected a few roubles so that she might buy something to traffic with, and seeing that Yitzchokel was a promising boy, they placed him in the Besamedresh, arranged for him to have his daily meals in the houses of the rich, and bade him pass his time over the Talmud. Tauber, when she saw her Yitzchokel taking his meals with the rich, felt satisfied. A weakly boy, what could she give him to eat? There, at the rich man's table, he had the best of everything, but it grieved her that he should eat in strange rich houses. She herself did not know whether she had received a kindness or the reverse when he was taken off her hands. One day, Sitting at her stall, she spied her Yitzchokel emerging from the shul 
with his tefillin bag under his arm, and go straight into the house of Reb Zintel the rich to breakfast. And a pang went through her heart. She was still on terms then with Yenta, because immediately after the death of her husband every one had been kind to her, and she said, Believe me, Yenta, I don't know myself what it is. What right have I to complain of the householders? They have been very good to me and to my child, made provision for him in rich houses, treated him as if he were no ordinary market-woman's son, but the child of gentlefolk. And every day, when I give the other children their dinner, I forget, and I lay a plate for my Yitzchokel. And when I remember that he has his meals at other people's hands, I begin to cry. "'Go along with you for a foolish woman,' answered Yenta. "'How would he turn out if he was left to you? What is a poor person to give a child to eat, when you come to think of it?' "'You are right, Yenta,' Tauba replied. "'But when I portion out the dinner for the others, it cuts me to the heart.' And now, as she sat by the hearth cooking the children's supper, the same feeling came over her, that they had stolen her Yitzchokel away. When the children had eaten and gone to bed, she stood the lamp on the table and began mending a shirt for Yitzchokel. Presently the door opened, and he, Yitzchokel, came in. Yitzchokel was about fourteen, tall and thin, his pale face telling out sharply against his black cloak beneath his black cap. "'Good evening,' he said in a low tone. The mother gave up her place to him, feeling that she owed him respect without knowing exactly why, and it was borne in upon her that she and her poverty together were a misfortune for Yitzchokel. He took a book out of the case, sat down, and opened it. The mother gave the lamp a screw, wiped the globe with her apron, and pushed the lamp nearer to him. "'Will you have a glass of tea, Yitzchokel?' she asked softly, wishful to serve him. "'No, I've just had some.' or an apple." He was silent. The mother cleaned a plate, laid two apples on it and a knife, and placed it on the table beside him. He peeled one of the apples as elegantly as a grown-up man, repeated the brocha aloud, and ate. When Tauber had seen Yitzchokel eat an apple, she felt more like his mother and drew a little nearer to him, and Yitzchokel, as he slowly peeled the second apple, began to talk more amiably. Today I talked with the Dayan, the rabbi, about going somewhere else. In the Besamadresh here there is nothing to do, nobody to study with, nobody to ask how and where, and in which book and he advises me to go to the yeshiva at Makov. He will give me a letter 
to Reb Chaim, the Rosh, and ask him to befriend me. When Tauba heard that her son was about to leave her, she experienced a great shock. But the words Dayan, Rosh Hayashiva, Mekarev Sain, and the other high-sounding bits of Hebrew which she did not understand, overawed her, and she felt she must control herself. Besides, the words held some comfort for her. Yitzchokel was holding counsel with her, with her, his mother. "'Of course, if the Dayan thinks so,' she answered piously. "'Yes,' Yitzchokel continued. "'There one can hear lectures with all the commentaries. Reb Chaim, the author of the book Be'or HaTorah, Light of the Torah, is a well-known scholar, and there one has a chance of getting to be something decent.' His words entirely reassured her. She felt a certain happiness and exultation because he was her child, because she was the mother of such a child, such a son, and because, were it not for her, Yitzchakel would not be there at all. At the same time her heart pained her, and she grew sad. Presently she remembered her husband, and burst out crying. If only he had lived, if only he could have had this consolation, she sobbed. Yitzchokel minded his book. That night Tauba could not sleep, for at the thought of Yitzchokel's departure her heart ached within her, and she dreamt as she lay in bed that some great rabbis with tall fur caps and long payas came in and took her Yitzchokel away from her. Her Yitzchokel was wearing a strimmel and payas like theirs, and he held a large book, and he went far away with the rabbis. And she stood and gazed after him, not knowing should she rejoice or weep. Next morning she woke late. Yitzchokel had already gone to his studies. She hastened to dress the children and hurried to the market-place. At her stall she fell a-thinking, and fancied she was sitting beside her son, who was a rabbi in a large town. There he sits, in shoes and socks, a great fur strimmel on his head, and looks into a huge book. She sits at his right hand, knitting a sock. The door opens, and there appears Yenta carrying a dish to ask a ritual question of Tauber's son. A customer disturbed her sweet dream. After this Tauber sat up whole nights at the table by the light of the smoky lamp, rearranging and mending Yitzchokel's shirts for the journey. She recalled with every stitch that she was sewing for Yitzchokel, who was going to the yeshiva, to sit and study, and who, every Friday, would put on a shirt prepared for him by his mother. Yitzchokel sat, as always, on the other side of the table, 
gazing into a book. His mother would have liked to speak to him, but she did not know what to say. Tauber and Yitzchokel were up before daylight. Yitzchokel kissed his little brothers in their sleep, and said to his little sleeping sisters, Remain in health. One sister woke and began to cry, saying she wanted to go with him. The mother embraced and quieted her softly. Then she and Yitzchokel left the room, carrying his box between them. The street was still fast asleep. The shops were still closed. Behind the church belfry the morning star shone coldly forth onto the cold morning dew on the roofs, and there was silence over all, except in the market-place, where there stood a peasant's cart laden with fruit. It was surrounded by women, and Yenta's voice was heard from afar, Five gulden and ten groschen, and I'll take the lot. And Tauber, carrying Yitzchokel's box behind him, walked thus through the market-place, and catching sight of Yenta, she looked at her with pride. They came out behind the town, onto the high-road, and waited for an opportunity to come by on its way to Lenschitz, whence Yitzchokel was to proceed to Kutno. The sky was grey and cold, and mingled in the distance with the dingy mist rising from the fields and the road, silent and deserted, ran away out of sight. They sat down beside the barrier and waited for the opportunity. The mother scraped together a few twenty-kopeck pieces out of her pocket and put them into his bosom, twisted up in his shirt. Presently a cart came by, crowded with passengers. She secured a seat for Yitzchokel for forty groschen, and hoisted the box onto the cart. Geigesint, don't forget your mother!" she cried in tears. Yitzchokel was silent. She wanted to kiss her child, but she knew it was not the thing for a grown-up boy to be kissed, so she refrained. Yitzchokel mounted the cart. The passengers made room for him among them. Remain in health, mother," he called out as the cart set off. Gagazint, my child, sit and study, and don't forget your mother," she cried after him. The cart moved further and further, till it was climbing the hill in the distance. Tauber still stood and followed it with her gaze, and not till it was lost to view in the dust did she turn and walk back to the town. She took a road that should lead her past the cemetery. There was a rather low plank fence round it, and the gravestones were all to be seen looking up to heaven. Tauber went and hitched herself onto the fence, and put her head over into the field, looking for something among the tombs, and when her eyes had discovered a familiar little tombstone, she shook her head. Laser, Laser, your son has driven away to the yeshiva to study Torah. 
Then she remembered the market, where Yenta must by now have bought up the whole cartload of fruit. There would be nothing left for her, and she hurried into the town. She walked at a great pace, and felt very pleased with herself. She was conscious of having done a great thing, and this dissipated her annoyance at the thought of Yenta acquiring all the fruit. Two weeks later she got a letter from Yitzchokel, and, not being able to read it herself, she took it to Reb Yochanan, the teacher, that he might read it for her. Reb Yochanan put on his glasses, cleared his throat thoroughly, and began to read. Le'imi ahuvosi hazeno. What is the translation? asked Tauba. It is the way to address a mother, explained Red Yochanan, and continued. Tauba's face had brightened, and she put her apron to her eyes and wept for joy. The reader observed this and read on. What is the translation, the translation, Reb Yochanan? the woman kept asking. Never mind, it's not for you. You wouldn't understand. It's an exposition of a passage in the Gomorrah. She was silent. The Hebrew words awed her, and she listened respectfully to the end. I salute Emi Ahuvosi and Achoisei, Sarah and Golda and Ochi Yaakov, tell him to study diligently. I have all my days and I sleep at Reb Chaim's, gave out Reb Yochanan suddenly in Yiddish. Tauber contented herself with these few words, took back the letter, put it into her pocket, and went back to her stall with great joy. This evening, she thought, I will show it to the Dayan, and let him read it too. And no sooner had she got home, cooked the dinner and fed the children, than she was off with the letter to the Dayan. She entered the room, saw the tall bookcases filled with books covering the walls, and a man with a white beard sitting at the end of the table, reading. What is it? A ritual question? asked the Dayan from his place. No. What then? A letter from my Yitzchokel. The Dayan rose, came up and looked at her, took the letter, and began to read it silently to himself. Well done. Excellent. Good. The little fellow knows what he is saying, said the Dayan more to himself than to her. Tears streamed from Tauber's eyes. If only he had lived, if only he had lived. Shechitas Chutz, Rambam, Tosafos is right, went on the Dayan. Herr Yitzchakel, Tauber the market woman's son, she thought proudly. Take the letter, said the Dayan at last. I've read it all the way through. Well, and what? asked the woman. What? What do you want, then? 
"'What does it say?' she asked in a low voice. "'There's nothing in it for you. You wouldn't understand,' replied the Diane with a smile. Yitzchokel continued to write home. The Yiddish words were fewer every time, often only a greeting to his mother, and she came to Reb Yochanan, and he read her the Yiddish phrases, with which she had to be satisfied. "'The Hebrew words are for the Diane,' she said to herself. But one day— "'There is nothing in the letter for you,' said Reb Yochanan. "'What do you mean?' "'Nothing,' he said shortly. "'Read me at least what there is.' "'But it is all Hebrew, Torah. You wouldn't understand.' "'Very well, then. I won't understand.' "'Go in health, and don't drive me distracted.' Tauber left him, and resolved to go that evening to the Dayan. "'Rebbe, excuse me. "'Translate this into Yiddish,' she said, handing him the letter. The Diane took the letter and read it. "'Nothing there for you,' he said. "'Rebbe,' said Tauber, shyly, "'excuse me. Translate the Hebrew for me.' "'But it is Torah, an exposition of a passage in the Torah.' You won't understand. Well, if you would only read the letter in Hebrew, but aloud, so that I may hear what he says. You won't understand one word. It's Hebrew, persisted the Diane with a smile. Well, I won't understand, that's all, said the woman. But it's my child's Torah, my child's. The Diane reflected a while, then he began to read aloud. Presently, however, he glanced at Tauber, and remembered that he was expounding the Torah to a woman, and he felt thankful no one had heard him. "'Take the letter. There is nothing in it for you,' he said compassionately, and sat down again in his place. But it is my child's Torah, my Yitzchokel's letter. Why mayn't I hear it? What does it matter if I don't understand? It is my own child." The Diane turned coldly away. When Tauber reached home after this interview, she sat down at the table, took down the lamp from the wall, and looked silently at the letter by its smoky light. She kissed the letter but then it occurred to her that she was defiling it with her lips, she, a sinful woman. She rose, took her husband's prayer-book from the bookshelf, and lay the letter between its leaves. Then with trembling lips she kissed the covers of the book, and placed it once more in the bookcase. End of A Scholar's Mother by Shalom Ash